Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, welcome to the 280th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Tyler Small and Tyler Eaton. Thanks, Tylers. I'm Matt Enloe. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today we have Kara Durrett on the podcast. She is a producer, like with a capital P. She's made uh, a bunch of features. She's made a bunch of short films. She's been to all the good festivals. South by Sundance, Venice, Cannes. She was a Sundance Producer Lab fellow. She had a couple movies that she shot over the pandemic. She just did a show as well. So she's she's doing it. And um, she also happens to be married to this DP, Lowell A. Mayer, who's a big fan of and is also very talented. And we had a really good conversation with her. I love talking to producers. Yeah, it's a thing that we're trying to make a a habit of is, um, you know, we talk to so many great directors and that's wonderful. But I think a lot of directors listen to the show. And so you can learn stuff from directors but you could also learn stuff from the people that you collaborate with and so yeah we're making a concerted effort to kind of talk to more producers and other types of people that you one collaborates with yeah i'd say my theme for the podcast for the past year has been how do i get my project made and producers have a lot of insight into that obviously directors do too that have made projects but i i love hearing from producers and seeing the elements that they look for in a director, in a project, in everything, you know, in terms of financing and cast and script and creative and resume and what it takes to to make a movie, like a million dollar movie or a $10 million movie or a show. So we had a really good time talking to Kara and I think you're going to enjoy this episode. But before we hop into our conversation with her, I'm going to go ahead and uh, mention a few of the movies that she's done just to get a little more specific in case people are curious. And also, we talk about them a lot. So our friends Alex and Eleanor Wilson's Save Yourselves, uh, we had them on the the show earlier this year. Uh, She's got an upcoming project with Celine Held and Logan George that we talk a decent amount about, produced by M. Night Shyamalan, called Vanishings, coming out soon, uh, or that they're shooting soon. And then David Craig and Brian Crano's I Don't Understand You, alongside producer Joel Edgerton. So a lot of cool stuff. South by Sundance, you know, the whole gamut. But we dig in deep with her. We get to talk about just the nature of being a producer and what it takes and her some of her lessons along the way. And also just kind of about the current climate of being an independent producer and how one supports oneself and thrives 
making indie films along with, you know, some other side hustles as well. Yeah. Before we talk to Kara, I wanted to, who, by the way, has the same name as my wife, which is pretty confusing because I keep saying Kara and my wife keeps coming into the room and saying like, what do you want? Uh, but uh, before we talk to Kara, I was going to talk to you just for a second about notes. I'm in the middle of this project. We're in post on a bunch of different edits. And because of COVID, again, I have like two big gripes about COVID aside from the disease the, part of it all. The, the death. And the- yeah. Uh, one is that I don't, I don't get to put my own half and half in my coffee at the coffee shop anymore. So they're always putting in the wrong amount. If I tell them to put a little extra in. You know the then trick. Then it's like way too much. That, Orin. You know the trick. Ask it's for it on the side and put it in myself? No, drink it black like a real person. Oh, come on. That's not a trick. That's show that's yourself giving up. Self-respect. No, it's the other <laughs> way around. Okay. And the other thing is that you don't get to sit in the edit bay with the editor. You, they put their edit on Frame.io or whatever software, Dropbox. They send you a video and you're like, okay, at this time code this doesn't look good or is there a different take for this or this cuts a little fast well so and the you don't get question, to try things the obvious question is have you sessioned with them remotely right because i you know i've done pretty strenuous pretty long sessions with editors where they'll go ahead and like share their screen share their screen and yeah it's, it's pretty great it's pretty seamless it's you know you can't point you can't you know elbow them out of the the chair and sit down and just do right. it yourself. can i drive yeah <laughs> yeah uh, That's no. my favorite line to say in an edit bay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're As, very popular uh, with editors. Well. <laughs> yeah, but is it real time? Like, can you tell the mm-hmm. timing and the pacing? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty I guess great. I should. I could have sessioned a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, now you're just making me regret all of my life decisions. But what I was going to say was this very specific note that I give a lot, which is, hey, can you bring the midtones down on this shot a little bit? So it matches the previous shot and then and the next shot. And I imagine a lot of editors, because I'm working now on this big project, there's three different editors. And they all, none of them are, really, you know, they put the LUT or whatever on the, that we filmed with on the footage. But some one shot we shot on Wednesday and one shot we shot on Friday, one shot we shot on daytime. One shot, and to me, when I'm showing clients or agency people like edits or anyone, you know, it doesn't have to be a commercial. It could be a short film. It could be a, a feature film screening that you're showing your friends. And the color is all over the place. Like one shot's bright, one shot's dark, one shot's, you know, the white balance is off. It throws me off and I'm no longer giving notes on, like I'm no, no, no longer processing whether the cut is working. I'm just noticing these shifts in light. And I'm wondering, do you ever give those types of notes of like, can you just darken this a little bit or can you make the color match the next shot a little better? In, in a temp edit, obviously before not a formal cover, color grade. Yeah, I would say that I do not do that unless it's really egregious, unless it's like really like, you know, there is a problem or like, you know, a mistake or or just the circumstances were so radically different that, you know, anyone would be able to tell. Well, what if like I see an edit where like this shot has a LUT, this has shot has a LUT, this next shot is in log and then the next shot has a LUT on it, you know? Well, then then you ask for the. Yeah, you definitely. You say, like, uh, the, hey. Yeah, you would be like, hey, I need to, to, to see this with a lot. I, you know, I think what we're really getting at, there's two things here, right? One, we're talking about the relationship that you have with the editor, right? And doing a good job early on of setting the table, of ex- 
explaining the way that you'd like to work and why you're asking for these things. And that even though you know that it's not really, quote unquote, their job, it helps sell the edit. You know, all of the reasons that you just explained to me why it's important to you, making that clear to an editor means that you're not just acting like a diva. Like there's a there's some thought behind this and you're working together to make the best possible edit delivered to clients so that they have less work to do later maybe so there's that and then there's also i think the more interesting and important part is like there's a a newer set of expectations on editors today than there was even two years ago and certainly than there was from back in the day when everyone was cutting on flatbeds and that's that editors and assistant editors are expected sometimes or or rather i think maybe people like you and I really like it when they have a level of VFX expertise and, and finishing expertise that would not normally be part of a job description. I yeah, they're putting some titles on logos and titles, logos, but, but, but I'm talking about like they're temping all the VFX and temping screens. the VFX screen, not, not just screens, but like split screens is a thing or like, you know, doing that kind of subtle speed ramping and stuff and like make like finessing the footage in a way that's not just setting ins and outs and fades, you know what I mean? But like really kind of digging in and my favorite editors are solid VFX artists as well, you know. Yeah, and even what we talked to Kara about in this episode is that a lot of their most amazing naturalistic performances are created by editors who are, you know, adding uh, freeze frames to eyes so that they're not darting around or not moving. We have the tools, like why not use them? And yeah, it, it is unfair. And, and our editors, this project I'm working on, the turnaround is like insane. What we finished shooting Friday night at 10 p.m., they needed to show the agency by Sunday morning. You know, so it's like they have no time. And I'm sure they're so annoyed that Warren's like giving them notes on the LUT. But to me, when you're showing an agency and a client thing, you want you want them to give you notes that matter and you don't like, like we had this temp text in there and I told them, look, this, obviously I know this is temp text, but if you don't want to get notes on this, then make it say the right thing. Because the worst thing to me is like a client saying, oh, let's, let's remove this shot of the, this insert shot. It doesn't look great. And you're like, yeah, it doesn't look great because the LUT's not on there. And you're, you're now like trying to explain technical things instead of worrying about story and pacing right, and flow right. and music. And, and, and also it's a distraction maybe then all of a sudden you're kind of like fighting for this shot. Whereas maybe it should be cut, but for a different reason than maybe they think. Totally. You know, I think that's the thing that you, you're always going to have to battle with. And I think that's why you find, once you find a collaborator that you really understand each other on those terms, you don't let those people go. And I think there's a certain type of editor, you know, I'm thinking of Julian Doan, who was one of the editors on Townies, is the exact sort of person I'm talking about, where like, I would be like, um, can we retime this shot a little bit? And he's like, yeah, I'm already doing it. Uh, like, let's finesse it just a tiny bit more. Yeah, and didn't he have a short at Sundance last and year? Exactly. He just announced a new feature that he's doing. Like, those guys just rise to the top yeah. so fast. And I think, I, I cannot say this enough, I've, now I've said it a million times on the podcast, but Show people the best possible cut you can. When you're showing people rough cuts, yeah, spend a day on the sound mix and on the color grade so that it's good, even though you're going to have to redo the whole thing because, you know, it's just putting your best foot forward, even if it's just a friends and family screening is, I think, is just so important and it is the best people. And again, like Kara 
who we talked to on this interview talks about the directors she works with and how planned they are and how meticulous they are and how uh, crazy detail oriented they are because those are the filmmakers that succeed are the ones that really care about every frame. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, I get it. It feels like, well, why do I need to do this thing? The colorist is going to do it again later. Like this work, the, the work we're describing in a sound mix or in via a VFX pass or in a color pass, most of the time those will be redone by specialists. That's true. But it also is part of the gig now, you know, and it's the story. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, sometimes it, it, you did remind me about with text, for instance, if something is, is truly temp and there's nothing else you can do about it, I explicitly tell them to make it as ugly and bad as possible so that there's no possible way that anyone will ever think it's anything but temp. Like put red temp text on top of it, you know, just make it so obvious and overt and explicit that there's no way you could misunderstand it for anything besides a placeholder. Yeah. I tell them, can you just send me the footage real quick and I'm going to put it in After Effects and make it look passable. <laughs> then I'll send them a, a comp back. Which is okay. Which is okay. You know, like I think there's, again, if you do the groundwork of like, that's, there's a world where you can say, you're not like, step aside. I know how to do this better. It's like, no, you know, I know that you've got a lot of things on your plate. This is something that's really important to me. And so like, it's still an inconvenience to you to send me the the, the shot. But I'm willing to, if you're willing to go that far for me, I'm willing to sub it in and get it the way I need it to while you're working on the other thousand things that you have to worry about. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, editing is underappreciated. And when, when I'm in the editor's chair, when someone's like, hey, we need this thing by tomorrow, I'm like, <laughs> you're asking me for so much. I only have so much time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm like a very anxious editor. But anyway... Yeah, well, you just cool. are screaming as you're, what's that hotkey? Ah! <laughs> Where's yeah, my shortcut? I, I find editing stressful because I, I want to see every combination of every edit ever before I make a decision. Um, I feel like I lose objectivity at a certain point. Like oh, you just start, sure. You just start seeing, you're like, okay, well, that's the one version and I see how it's different, but I don't, I can't tell what's better anymore. That's why I like working with editors. Yeah. Because and I, editing I your own stuff too. Eyes. Yeah, it's like, well, I'm gonna try to get all three of these angles for this one motion in because we shot them. Got to get them in there. Okay. Speaking right. of moving on and not trying every combination of a conversation, we're gonna talk to Kara. But first, we're gonna tell you about our Patreon. If you go to Patreon.com/slash/justshootapod, you can uh, throw us a dollar, two, four. Uh, Clinton Cornwall th- sent us thirteen, and then he changed it to five. But guess what? I'm gonna send him a hat anyway. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it was a mistake. Clinton let us know. It probably I wasn't. Think he, want, he wanted a hat. He wanted yeah. a hat. Maybe maybe cover some, uh, you know, some postage or whatever. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it, Clinton, and your hat yeah, is on its way. Ahead. But yeah, it's uh, just a way we can pay our editors, pay our people, pay our all our various serving service fees, web server fees. I, I keep finding things to, to have this show spend money on so that you and I don't get to pocket any of it. Yeah, I know. I'm always like, $19 on what? Analytics? It's crazy. Anyway, patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. We really appreciate it. Before we talk to Kara, perhaps we'll hear something from a, a sponsor or two. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Let's back things up a little bit because I feel like we could talk for hours about just the nature of producing. But let's start at the beginning. I think that maybe gives us a little bit of structure. I think earlier, maybe even off the mic, you said you didn't go to film school. What was the, how did you first get started producing? Well, what were those first kind of few incremental jobs for you? So I did not go to school for producing. I went for theater. My mom was a producer forever. And I was always told, like, whatever you do, just don't be a producer. Like a Hollywood um, movie producer? Yeah, she did. Like, she lived in Texas. She was like a local, you know, TV producer. She worked at, like a TV station. And she did like local movies that came through. And she was very involved in like the film scene in Texas growing up. And I liked it but I was like very I was much more drawn into theater to be honest so I thought I was going to be doing like Shakespeare at the Globe or something it was like that, that's funny because and I then, feel like anytime I do a travel job I'm always jealous of the locals because it seems like they have nice regular lives they're just like oh, the yeah. person you, you get totally. you call them if you're gonna shoot in Dallas there's three producers and two of them are working so the third one gets called you know oh yeah and they, they also like, they won't, you know, they won't kill themselves because they're kind of like, what are you going to do? Call someone else? <laughs> yeah, like, there exactly. aren't many. So it's like, right. you kind of have luck, to, huh? they just they, do it on their own time. And they all have yeah. like side yeah. hustles too. Like, yeah, I, I own, I own part of this bar too. Oh, I'm going to yeah, have a totally. party there. Oh, they're also always like, I'm a location yeah. manager and I'm like an AC and I'm like, how do you do all of that? And then you realize that's, that's not that odd. hard actually. <laughs> I know, exactly. Anyway, you were saying. Yeah, we make it too precious. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, my mom is a producer and. I did theater for a while. I lived in New York. I did comedy for a long time. I did like sketch comedy and did UCP and all that kind of stuff for a few years. And then like... Like mostly act performing and yeah. writing also? 
like performing and, and writing and doing all that kind of stuff. And I liked it. Like I love living in New York. And then I don't know, like I saw all my friends start hitting like Broadway and then they'd come back to like cater waitering or I was like a wedding planner for a while. It was like a, a side hustle because it was like very, I like my brain was very good at that kind of stuff. And so I, I kind of did all those little jobs and then I moved to LA and I became a celebrity's assistant. Mm, you're not um, allowed to say I, which celebrity. I became, I can say, I mean, I signed an NDA, but I can tell you who it is. I, I became William H. Macy and Felicity Huffman. Ooh, that's a good one. That's great. Um, yeah, I worked for them for a long time. And like, honestly, they kind of introduced me into film. Like Bill was just starting to direct and he was like, you should come and like be an associate producer. And I like didn't know what it meant. I was like, okay. And so like I went on a first set and I kind of, I did a few movies with him where I kind of like worked up in the ranks and I just became really good friends with the producers on those movies. And to be honest, like the first time I was on set, I was like, oh, I'm like totally meant to be a producer. Like, I don't really know what I've been doing for this many years. So I kind of quickly transitioned. A wedding planner isn't like that far off, right? Oh, it's like the if exact same thing. A wedding planning <laughs> and assistant work together. That's most of producing, oh. basically. Yeah. It's literally a hundred percent of producing. Like it's you know, wedding planning is like every day of work is someone's most important day. So you're just everyone's always at like a hundred. Like you're very adept with like or whatever the word is of like taking care of people at their have most Have you stressed. helped uh, um, like friends with their weddings at all? Now that you're... I have. Because you, a, but do you, do you feel like... I feel like whenever I have like to step in to like help on something like that, I'm always like, everybody get out of the way because like you don't know what you're talking about. Like we can do this in my sleep. Like can we just get this is, done? You know? It's kind of funny how much I just turned it off. Like now I go to weddings and I'm just like the happiest <laughs> guest. I'm just like food and drinks and like I don't do anything. I'm like so I enjoy everything. Um, but yeah, I was a wedding planner weirdly. And then, yeah, I don't know. I just, once I got on set, I was like very 100%. I like kind of quit everything else and just stopped focusing on other stuff and was like, oh, I think I just, if I put all my energy into this, I think I could be good and like be okay at this. But this um, first set that you were on, you know, through the, these people that you were working with, like was a big Hollywood studio set probably, right? Yeah, it was a big movie. And it was cool. It was like the direct, you know, the producer was this woman named Rachel Winter who did Dallas Buyers Club. And like, it was a very, like Rosario Dawson and Kathy Bates was in it. And like all of these really cool actors and I definitely quickly learned like the role of the producer. Like I remember, I probably shouldn't say that. I remember asking Bill Macy being like, what's the producer do? And he was like, you just agree with me all the time. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, okay. So I just like did that. He'd be like, I want more money. And I was like, I agree. Um, so I just like, did that for a while. It's interesting to kind of come in at that level, like at the highest level and then yeah. kind of go back to like, you know, well, and yeah, go back and do like music videos for free. I mean, in a weird way, it was almost really nice because I learned very quickly, like I have no interest in studios and I have no interest in like celebrity-ness. Like I have no, I'm I'm not like starstruck by people. What like, helped you realize that? What, what was the thing that helped you clue in to that feeling? I think, I think working for people who are in that level of their lives, it was like, you know, as much as celebrities have like a bad rap, it's also like a really hard life. Like every relationship is like commoditized. It's tricky because yeah. you're like, yeah, it's like, do they want something from me? It's like every conversation, everything with and everyone the answer's kind of yes. turns into something kind else. Of yes. Yeah. Um, it totally unless there's someone and so as like, famous and in a totally different realm, basically. Yeah, exactly. And, and then you kind of see that they're living 
in this, you know, little, little place of just like protecting themselves because they have to. And so you, you kind of learn quickly, like, I don't necessarily feel like I want to be a part of this machine that's like feeding, you know, not egos, but like feeding these people in this way, like the very big movies where people just do whatever the celebrities want. It's like, I just found it to be kind of funny. And I just quickly found myself not being drawn towards it at all. It's kind of a way, a story we hear as a way into work that is pretty common, but we never really talk about it in the, on the podcast, which is like assisting a celebrity, you know, like, I don't know if you went through the UTA job list or there's, there's certain ways that when you move to LA, you can kind of be someone's assistant and you, you instantly get exposure. Like we had, you know, JJ Abrams assistant. We had a lot of people who started that way. And it's, it's kind of like not a bad way to learn no. about everything. Fast, it's, the, you know? it's honestly the best way. Cause like I didn't, like I said, I didn't go to film school and I also never worked at a desk and I never worked at a production company and I never PA, like I never did any of this stuff that people do. So I didn't have like the language, like I didn't understand. I knew like art. I knew how like to talk about scripts. I knew how to break down characters. Like I came from that world, but I did not understand like how to call an agent or like how that dynamic works. So doing it for other people for a long time, you kind of just quickly pick up the language and it's very helpful. Like I applied to go to USC grad school and I remember I got in and I remember I was like, you know what, I'm going to assist for a year and I'm going to see how I feel in a year. And if I still want to go to grad school for film, because I thought I was so behind. I was like, if I still want to go to like grad school, then I'll go. But for now, I'll just do this. And then I did it. And it's true. Like I learned so much, like instantly, just about like development, about like attaching to projects, how actors read projects, how agents pitch projects, like kind of everything. I highly recommend it. I tell everyone who's like, what would I, what should I do when I come to LA? And I'm always like, just get a job at a desk or with someone that you can just be on the phone all the time and like listen to it. Because it is like a game in a weird way. Yeah, I wonder if from working with them, how much you learned about attaching talent to your projects? I definitely look at projects now, like from their point of view. I mean, they're both very talented actors and they both have such long careers. They're not like hot and, you know, they're like new. They've just had such longevity. So there is a bit of me that I understood like what they were looking for in times. And like, I would read projects for them. So it was, it was interesting to have conversations with them about like what they were looking for. So I definitely have an approach with actors that I take that is probably different than some people because of that experience. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's also, it sounds basically like you were, you know, the third member of their production company, you know? And, yeah. And so totally. I think that that is, it's kind of a crapshoot with the, the assistant gig, right? Sometimes you are in a situation where you can be around people who really like guide you and help you. Um, and sometimes you're just like picking up dry cleaning and uh, <laughs> totally. to, uh, And sometimes you're yeah, doing both. Yeah. Like I definitely, I definitely did a lot on both sides, but like they had another assistant, they had a nanny, like that we had, there was a team of people. So I was very, like, I went to set with them. Like it was very integrated. I was on the shameless set with them. Like I was kind of integrated in their lives in that way. So in a way it was, it was very nice. And they also, I will say like, I met them through the Atlantic Theater Company, which is where I studied school. And then when I when I came to LA, it was like kind of a connection through a teacher there. And they were very invested. They were very like, we know you want to do this. Like Bill, I remember when he was doing the movie, he was like, you want to be a producer, you should come to Atlanta with me and like be on the set and like learn how it works. Like they really did give me an opportunity that I 
I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So like, I am very grateful in that way that they kind of just like allowed me to see in for a while because it was very helpful. I mean, I wouldn't be anywhere without that like access, to be honest. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. So I'm curious, just in thinking about you have that background, you have that experience with them. And then, you know, then you kind of it sounds like you probably started to side hustle and doing your own own projects do those uh, the kind of early producing gigs that everybody cuts their teeth on unpaid music videos and the like right were there things where you were like were there surprises when you all of a sudden were kind of doing these smaller budget things where you were like well i didn't i knew it was going to be hard but i didn't realize we wouldn't have this sort of uh no i think i was kind of the opposite because i came from theater like i remember when i started doing shorts and, and music videos, which is like how I kind of got started, like mainly shorts, I, I would go to festivals. So like when I was working for Bell and Felicity, I would go to festivals and um, I would get a pass and I would just go see only the short blocks. And I would just meet all the directors of the shorts that I loved afterwards. And I would basically just be like, if you have another short, I'll work for free. And I did that for like nine or 10 shorts. Like I did like a couple years where I just only did shorts for people that I was very big fans of. And then those shorts kind of grew into features. And then I kind of started working with people through those, those, you know, relationships that they then knew people that were really talented. So I was very like, I kind of cherry picked the best out of these places because I was able to do that. But like, and I mean, this is like the sun, like you would go to Sundance. I'd go to Sundance. I'd go to South by, I'd go to like all of, yeah, I'd basically do those. I mean, South by has incredible short films. Like they have some of the best shorts, I think of any festival, no offense to any other, but like, Claudette and those guys who like pick them are incredible. Um, and so I, I remember just like picking people. Like I met Selena Logan, the movie we were talking about earlier. And I'm sure we'll talk about like, I met them at South by, I met Laurel Parmed who I'm doing her movie. I met so many people from those places just from like literally after a premiere, I'd walk up to them and be like, I'm a fan. Like, what are you working on? And for me, it was almost the opposite. Cause I came from theater. People would be like, I only have $10,000. And I was like, $10,000 is incredible. Like, where'd you get $10,000? So for me, it was like so much money. Cause in theater you have $0. And so I was like, I don't have to put any money in. Like, this is amazing. Like we should do something. I'll work for free. Like it's fine. And even the first few movies, like save yourselves. Like I remember all of us, you know, a lot of people were like, I can't believe you're going to make a movie for that small. And I was like, yeah, but it's like way more than you would at a show, like a theater show. So we're going to be fine. Like we'll get lunch every day. This is incredible. Wait, I'm curious when you pitch yourself as a producer, I think a lot of people, especially in the feature world that, you know, it's probably different in shorts. Think of a producer as someone that helps them get money. You know, was that part of your pitch or were you, did you just. In the, in the beginning, it wasn't because I didn't know how to get it. And now I do. So now I definitely never promise money, but I definitely pitch like I know how to build the machine because I do. And I actually really enjoy it. Like a lot of producers hate the money part and I actually find it kind of fun. Like it's a fun game for me to be like, will I get two or three million? It's like a fun, weird, twisted thing for me to try to get the most bang out of someone to like creatively make something. So I, as I've evolved and as I've learned how to do it now, I can kind of bring that to the table. But in the beginning, I was very honest. I was like, I don't know. How do people get money? Like, I'll just be there to like, you know, make sure it all goes smoothly and like pay everyone. But like, I didn't know that stuff. I don't even know who knows that in the beginning. Like, it's such a weird skill. So were you offering, I I guess I, I, See, I hear a lot of people that want to be like creative producers and then they just want to hire like a UPM and a coordinator in it, you know, but you're, when you're doing you're a short, shaking your head in disdain, <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm shaking my head because I don't believe in that term. I find it to be very crazy. Oh, <laughs> crazy. Tell us why. 
Crazy is the wrong word. I find it to be very um, like pretentious or pretentious. presumptuous, yeah. maybe. It's it's very like strange. It's like whenever people are like, like I have a lot of people who reach out and will be like, I want to be more of a creative producer. And I'm like, oh, that's fun. Like, that's not a thing, but like, good luck with that. <laughs> like you enjoy that. Like if you want to be a creative producer, that means you're friends with the director and you want to show up on set and right. like hang out. Which, like, or maybe you want to be a development yeah. exec. Yeah. Or you want to be a development exec, but like a creative producer is not a term that I understand or like get, like, it doesn't make sense to me. Cause in my mind, I was told early on by a, by a friend of mine, when I was leaving Bill and Felicity and I was like, I want to start producing on my own. I want to do whatever I can to make money. I have to find a job. A friend of mine who is a very big producer now at the time had just made a few features and he was like, I'm going to give you a secret. He was like, learn to be a line producer and don't tell anyone you know how to do it. And, and you should do it on commercials and you should do it on shorts, do it on everything you can so that you know how it works because you don't want to be the person who shows up to set and doesn't know how to do anything. And I did that. Like, I just went to commercial houses. I just like started doing music videos. I started doing it and I would get paid and I just line produce slash produce because it's the same, it's basically the same job. And now that I'm in the feature world more, like I see these producers who are just like, I, I don't know about a budget. I need to like get a line producer. And I'm like, that must be so nice that you have the money to pay for someone to make you a budget, like I have to do all right. of that. Well, myself. and even like, when you know your movies get big enough that it doesn't make sense for you to do that, when it comes time to like, you know, solve some problems, you can crack that budget open and know what you're looking at. Yeah, you know how to do it. Like you know how to work it, and you can have a conversation. I mean, I think a line producer is very, very important because it's someone who's only watching specific parts, that, and your brain is split, right? Like you are the person who's with the director and with the actors and with the agents and with the financier and with everyone. But like the line producer's job is just to make sure people are getting paid to make sure budgets are on time, make sure that we're on schedule. And all of those things are very important to the film succeeding. So you have to have someone who is focused on that. But like, that doesn't mean I'm not involved in that. Like I'm on every cost report. I'm on any change with that budget. Like I'm very, very involved in those conversations because I find the people who are like, it's not my thing. I'm just like, well, then I don't know what your thing is. Like that is part of the job. That's the whole producer, job. Yeah. It's like someone that doesn't want to do any of yeah. the hard part. Exactly. Just you just want to be like, I don't do paperwork. And you're like, well, then I don't know. Be yeah. a manager. Or, or a director. <laughs> do something else. <laughs> or a director. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like being a director that doesn't want to, you know, select people for casting yeah, or something, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like there's a lot of fun things in directing. He doesn't want to pitch or write treatments. Like there's a lot of parts of directing that aren't fun that you yeah. kind of have to do to get the fun part. Well, and yeah. I don't think that one, I think one feeds the other. Like, I don't think I'd be as good at the creative if I didn't know how much money we have. Or like, I don't, I don't think I'd be as good at, at conversations with the director about like how to achieve something in post if I didn't understand like how far off we were during production. So like, the idea that you're just kind of throwing ideas out there and you have no concept of where you're at is like, that's not helpful. It's like, a, it's like a hobby at that point. Like you're not really doing the job. You're kind of just like giving some ideas as a friend and then like going home. It's like a weird, I don't know. I can, I can go on about this for a long time. You probably don't want me to talk about this for a long time. Well, I am curious when you kind of started producing these shorts, music videos, commercials, all these things, what the ratio of things you were producing because you really were excited about the material versus things that you were just producing to learn how to produce and you you didn't really care as much about or, the, or did you did I you care about all of them know. maybe you know i think i cared about all of them i think i just decided early on like 
I just decided early on I couldn't do it if I didn't love it. Like commercials I definitely do and I don't love, but they're so fast. And I would kind of do them as an experiment of like, I need to learn something and this will be helpful to me. Like I need to learn how DGA works or I need to learn how, you know, IA works in LA. I need to work like, I need to understand these things because it will help me. But I would just do, the, I do very right. small commercials. I do very You're short. You're talking about the union, various unions. Yeah, the unions. Like I do very short commercials. I don't do, like I did like a six week travel job one time for T-Mobile and it was like a documentary basically. And that taught me like how documentaries work. And I remember at the time it was like actually a really beautiful project because it was about like female entrepreneurs. And I was like, this is technically commercial and it's paying me commercial rates, but like what a cool commercial to do. Can so I, I ask how you, you know, because I think the indie feature world and the indie short world doesn't, aside from crew, doesn't really overlap that much with the commercial world. How do you go to like a big commercial production company and say, hey, let me produce your six week T-Mobile shoot? I think it happened organically. Like people started, A, it's really easy to be a producer if you work hard like people always think like they don't know how to become a producer and i'm like just work endless hours and like don't ever ask for more money and like have a good attitude and people will just keep hiring yeah you. Like, hold on i'm gonna pump the brakes there because that, that is true for sure i and i love that but i think that there are probably some specific tactics that you employed that maybe you you know you haven't even thought about in you know however many years but like for, like but think about the tactics right but people always say this. People are always like, I don't know how to do budgets. And it's like, well, well learn. I, I mean like more, if you just learn, you'll be yeah, fine. Yeah, totally. I, I meant more like, okay, you went to South by Southwest and introduced yourself to the filmmakers that you liked, right? Like that's such a perfect nugget that it feels like maybe a person like you just like intuitively, you're like, yeah, I'll just go find the, the best filmmakers and I'll introduce myself. But like sometimes it's nice to be prescriptive and be like, these are the ways in which I was smart about introducing myself to the right people or like how to show that I'm a hard worker or offer up my skills. You know what I mean? Were there any other things like that? How did, how did you first meet those, you know, people at different production companies that were hiring you later on? Like, is it just social? I think or? I I met them. No, I met them at South by or Sundance. And I met, I also met them through friends. Like I started meeting them. I would do like a music video and then like, that director would be like, oh, I have a commercial. Like, can do you want to do it? It's really small. It's like a PSA. And then I would do that one. And then like someone from that production company would then be like, oh, I have this other little thing that like no one wants to do. Can you do it? So I kind of did that for a while, to be honest. I just like bounced around. I mean, I've been very lucky. Like I did not have to do commercials long and I only have to do a few at a time. And I, I always had heard the phrase like golden handcuffs of just like, don't get sucked in because your life will be taken over. So I've, been, I've really tried to be like, how much money do I actually need? Like, I don't need to do another one. Like I can survive another month and I don't need to do another one. And then in a month I'll figure it out. But like, I should spend this month developing this feature. Otherwise I'm just going to keep doing them over and over and then I'll be trapped. So are about or, or are you talking about us? Or in a night. <laughs> about you this podcast. yeah it's like no like i i actually think like that was my theory was just like only take what you need and then move on very quickly i also was told this never tell commercial people you do features and never tell feature people you do commercials and i still don't do that like i still have commercial companies that reach out to me and they have no idea i do features and then like vice versa and i just never talk about them to each other i'm just always like i'm booked on a job and i just leave it at that 
because I don't want them to know because they, they're not the same world and it's a different mm-hmm. skill. So, yeah, I love, I love that. I will say when I do commercials and we have the pre-production meeting, I do say like, by the way, our producer just had a film at Sundance. Our costume you designer do. does, <laughs> yeah. you know, the Connors on or, ABC. Or it's all like, about hyping people I, like that. I love it. Yeah. Well, because I want, yeah, I want the clients and the agency to be excited and also to know that we're bringing people with taste, you know, into the project. And, and so when we're on set and they're like this, I hate that shirt. And you're like, well, this is a costume designer from iCarly or whatever, you know, um, <laughs> like you want them to trust you. But what? so what, what was the first feature you produced? My first pre, well, technically it was the movie Crystal with Bill Macy. And then he did another movie called The Layover that I worked on. And these were like junior producer roles. And then basically my very first producing, producing credit was Topside. It was probably Selena Logan's feature. And then I did Save Yourselves. And then I've done Honk. And then I've done a few more since then. But like, yeah, probably Topside was my first. And I'd done five shorts with those guys. And I met them at South by. So. And they, so anyone listening to this, if you're not driving a car or running on a treadmill or whatever people do, I imagine a lot of our listenership doesn't run on treadmills that much. But uh, you should check out Celine Held and Logan George just on Vimeo or wherever, because I've watched a, a bunch of their shorts and they're all quite incredible. And I'm curious, so you, you linked up with them at, at South by you said mm-hmm. they had Lo- a short they had a short called Mouse that was in the midnight section, and Lowell, my husband, had shot it, but at the time we were not married or we had like just met, so we all kind of got connected like socially and I was just such a fan of theirs, and they went to theater school too, and we kind of just like quickly connected on like New York theater, and then they told me they were like, "Oh, we actually have this short idea in Texas." Like, would you want to go down and do it? And I was like, I'm because I'm from Texas. And I was like, yeah, like my parents will cater, like we'll stay in my cousin's camper. Like I did the whole thing, the whole pitch and and they brought me on and I was really lucky. And then that short went on and did can and was shortlisted for the Oscars and had a whole life. So I'm curious what you saw about their work that that made you a fan of theirs. That attracted you to that? I think that stuff. their their work, the, when I saw Mouse, I just remember thinking it was incredibly like emotional, like not in a, not in like a sad way, but it was very visceral. It's like sh- shorts, I think a lot. Now I've seen thousands of shorts at this point, but like so many shorts take themselves so seriously and they take themselves right. so like everything. The melodrama. So, yeah, the melodrama right. and the moment and they have to get that one moment. And like Selena Logan, like have you ever seen Mouse, which is one of their first shorts? It's like about this like, cup this like kind of drug at a couple in new york and they they find a mouse in a can of beans and they want to sue the company so they can get millions of dollars and it's just them like tweaking out over the night being like oh my god like how do we do it and then like they eat the mouse and like it becomes this whole kind of evolution of their lives and i just found it to be like hilarious and fascinating and terrifying and like the people in the audience were reacting so um insanely and so it was like kind of fun to see people like go yeah on it's ride. what you're hoping for in a south by midnight program basically yeah 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 exactly it was like the best midnight short you could see because it just gives you yeah like wakes you up at midnight when you're watching it and then when you were when you first teamed up with them were they making a living from shorts or no no way they were like they were doing school videos they were traveling the world they were a two-person team and they had their own camera and they would travel to like indonesia and do like private school videos for people to sign up for private school so they made money that way and they didn't make a lot of money and they would they would airbnb their apartment out in new york city the studio and they would they would put a tent on their roof 
and sleep on the roof while the no Airbnb way. people. Oh, a hundred percent. They would bike around the city all night, and then they would use the money from Airbnb to pay for all their shorts. That is so, like, hardcore. The first yeah. year. Oh, it was crazy. Like the first year I met them, they had saved enough money and they were like working restaurant jobs, like everything you can imagine. They'd saved enough money and they were like, we're going to make three shorts back to back and try to use like the same insurance and the same people and like just try to do it as fast as possible. And then we'll set, we'll like release them later on. And so they did one, they did Caroline and then like, I don't know how long, maybe a month later we did lockdown and they did a, a short called Babs, which I did not do. It was in London and they used the whole London producing team. But they did those within like two months of each other. Like it was insane. It was amazing. Is Caroline the one with the kid in the car? Yeah. Oh, I know yeah, that short. Yeah. So good. That short is That's great. the one in Texas. Yeah, that's incredible. That short is yeah. incredible. Yeah, I love it. And was your hope with them to like follow their career to to a feature like, yeah, that's a good like question. oh yeah i was gonna like ride ride their <laughs> coattails all the way to the end which i still have like i'm leaving in a few weeks to go do their next movie um yeah they i mean they were just on such a mission i mean in a weird way we really connected about it because i think we all were kind of we had all done the theater thing in new york around the same time and we'd all spent the time doing that and i think we all had very intense ambition at the exact same time and so there was a level of like understanding each other and being like, yeah, we just have to like do it. Like, I mean, a lockdown was a prime example. I remember I like didn't want to do lockdown because I was exhausted. Like I would just done Caroline. I was like kind of overwhelmed and they just convinced, like they just called me and they were just like, we're doing it. You have to like get to Philadelphia. It's happening. It's going to be great. You'll enjoy it. And then like, I'm so happy I did. It got into Sundance that like, I think it got us our movie for the feature. Like they were so, so ambitious. You have to just kind of like jump on. So it's very, very magnetic. Yeah. So once lockdown premieres at Sundance and you're the producer and you're there with the directing team and you're this guy you like shot it too. <laughs> yeah, this guy I'm dating. <laughs> how do you take that and turn it into a feature? Like what's can you tell us a little the bit process? about Yeah. Well, they had written a feature years before and when we were doing Caroline, they had like sent me the script and we had talked about it and all of us did not know what we were doing. We were all like, we'll make it for $500,000. Like, it'll be great. <laughs> we had no idea how much movies cost. Can you tell um, us the long line? Uh, it's a five-year-old lives in the New York City tunnels and her and her mother are evicted by Amtrak moving in and they have to find shelter in the middle of the night of like a New York City cold night. It's a terrible long line. It takes place like over one night? Over one night, yeah. In New York City, in like the middle of winter, does sound um, kind of yeah, expensive. It does, it does sound it's expensive, and we also shot on like subway trains that are moving, and like it was a lot. We did not understand. We were like, "We'll just put a kid on a train; it'll be fine." And then, like as we started learning more and more, we like, I mean, it's funny. Like when you really think about how to start financing and stuff. Like I did IFP, which is now called Gotham Project, and that was probably my first intro into like financier world. And we met with every company like this script was very known. And Caroline had such a big splash and lockdown did like everyone was like, we want to help you. And then whenever we'd kind of get in the nitty gritty, they were like, that sounds hard. Mm -hmm. We don't want to help you anymore. But like, we'll watch it. <laughs> oh, it's like a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, they were like, D tell us when you make it. So we had that by like a thousand companies. And then honestly, like Celine and Logan put their own money into the beginning and started filming they found a girl and they started filming on their own and then like very last minute three financiers like all threw money in um, and were you you were you were producing too at that point i produced the financiers. yeah 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 i was on it for like a year and a half before the financiers we we got money from a company that was way too good to be true that came to us and was like we're gonna give you all the money and i was like this is so easy why does everyone have a hard time and then like i didn't know what red flags were red flags 
And then like quickly within three months, I was like, they don't have any money. They've been lying to us. And then like it very quickly dissolved. And I was like, I now know better. Like I now know what contracts to look for and like how to do it better. I'm curious about, uh, you know, I feel like sometimes we hear the story of like, oh, at the very last minute, financiers came in and, and saved the day, right? Like like you just mentioned. How does that happen? How does that work? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it sounds like a magic trick. It doesn't. I mean, it happens from agencies. Like, you know, we had a big champion at Endeavor, like Sam Racanelli, who was just a huge... Like, they also, Endeavor had a lot to prove because they had just signed Selena Logan, WME did. And Anonymous had just signed Selena Logan from the shorts. So I think there was a bit of hype of like, we're going to pull through. So I remember when we were leaving the company that didn't have the money and we realized it quickly, we called WME and we were like, we're all idiots. Like, we don't know what to do. How do we get out of this? And they were like, okay, let us walk you back. And they like walked us out of that deal. And then they basically sent out a wide thing that was like, hey, they have a cast. They have a location. They, they're ready to go. All they need is like X amount of dollars. And a bunch of companies kind of toyed us around for a while. And then it just it just started happening. Like we we ended up bringing on a fancy producer, like a bigger producer named Anthony Bregman, who kind of gave the project like um, like a bit of a weight because I was the only producer and I was still so new. So that we kind of brought someone in to give financiers that reassurance. So he came in as like a name only kind of, and then and then basically all the financiers were like, well, now the team is so great, we can't say no. That's interesting. I feel like a lot of times you hear you know, new filmmakers are trying to make a feature and they're like, oh, well, let's just get a producer that people know. And then they don't even have to do anything, but just having them attached. There's a lot the of money. <laughs> but well, um, but it sounds like it worked it, for you. It, <laughs> kind of. I mean, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say like the financiers became because of him, but I think that there was there was a hesitancy with them. And I think that Likely Story and that team definitely gave them like they know they know what they're doing. It's going to be OK. I think they gave us that like the security. Safe hands, that, so to speak. Yeah. 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 But I guess I was just going to mention, it's not just that producer. Like they also are up by Anonymous and up by William Morris and had Sundance films and were at South by And we're ready like, to go, right? Like it yeah. couldn't be closer. Yeah, exactly. Like we were like cast and had locations and we, we had the whole thing. So yeah, it was And very, were there any names in the cast? No, none. I mean, it was Celine played the lead and we had an actor named Jared Abramson who had done some Sundance movies. He's like an amazing actor, but was still kind of, you know, finding a name. And and then we had a rapper named Fat Lip who's from the far side, but like had never acted and no one knew who he was. He was and in that Spike Jones video. Was, Spike was, Jones used to do all those videos. He was in yeah. that Spike, yeah, yeah. that Spike Jones video. Up, like, but it was a very, you know, it was a very creative based cast. It was not built on like financing. I mean, that's what's funny is like, we were all so, we didn't understand that that's what you needed. So we didn't do it the other way because we didn't know any better. We were just kind of like, it makes more sense creatively. <laughs> and we were like, what? We could have gotten more money. Like we didn't understand that that's how it worked. Now I do, but at the time. In I retrospect, didn't. do you think that uh, anyone would have adjusted things in some way or, or, or started the plan out differently? Or because, you know, to me, it's like, well, look, if you got the movie made with the creative decisions you wanted to make, that sounds like a happy ending, you know? I mean, they definitely, you know, we all, we all had a hard one with that one because it came out during COVID. So it just didn't, it didn't hit in the way we all wanted it to. And not because it's not a great movie, but because like, it just, we couldn't show it to anyone. Like we just couldn't, we, we premiered at Venice and like, we it technically premiered at South by, they won the director's award. It premiered at Venice. It won the technical award. Like it had an incredible, it had every review you could imagine, like Hollywood Reporter, everyone gave it like the best reviews. And then we just couldn't get it seen because everyone was like, we're not buying movies right now. And like, 
we don't we don't know what's going to happen with theaters and we don't know what's going to happen with indie film and like we had all of the big people and in, you know interested in buying it there was like a real battle for a second and then everyone just kind of dissolved because of the timing of covid so i don't know if we would have done anything different because we just kind of just got we were like a casualty of covid in a weird way yeah no one expects worldwide pandemic no yeah crazy is yeah. i'm just curious for personal reasons like how do you how do you cast an amazing five-year-old actor like how, how do so you even we, start? we got her cast very lucky so jennifer venditti who is a casting director who does like euphoria and like i think she did like american honey she's done movies like that we reached out to her as basically like would you cast our movie and she hadn't said yes she hadn't said anything and then she responded with tapes of this little girl who ended up being our lead and she was like i'm at a casting for euphoria in a church and this little girl walked in with her dad because they thought it was a food bank. And Come I think, on. I swear to God. And she was like, I think this is your little girl. She was like, I read your script last night. I can't do it. I'm, I'm busy. But like, this is your kid. And then she they sent thought us it was tapes. a food bank. And she walked well, out, she a whipped movie out an A plus audition. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't give an audition. She brought her, she brought her across the street to a diner and the little girl, she just talked to her and the little girl just like ate crackers. I mean, Selena Logan, like the little girl never saw a script. She never did lines. Like, they never said action or cut. Like they, she never, there was never like Does a she movie. Know she's in a movie. <laughs> she knows she's in a movie, but like she doesn't really know what it was about. Like we never told her. We never like the scenes are all just her interacting with people, and people would just kind of feed her what we need her to say. And that's Wait, the way. That, and she's that's, five. She was five when you. She was the movie? seven at the time. Yeah, I mean, that, but that's the way they work. Like Caroline, if you go back and watch Caroline with the three kids, like most of those shots those three kids are never in the car at the same time ever like they're all stitches like the kids in the back it's a stitch that's two different two different shots that, that logan the director and editor like put together and you're panning from kid to kid and like same thing with the little girl and caroline like she didn't know what the movie was about celine just told her hey i'm gonna go in there and i need you to like look for me and i need you to like wonder when i'm coming back because it's gonna get hot and the little girls just like looked around for a while Wait, but then she never like looked into the lens or like asked like, am I doing oh. this right? Or I mean, her and the lead in the feature, both those kids spike the camera a thousand times and Logan edits their eyes to never move. <laughs> really? That, that's yeah. funny. I, that's my, that's the hardest thing about kids is they're always like, is this what you oh, yeah. want me to do in the middle? Oh, of yeah. I mean, most of the scenes she spikes it or she yawns a thousand times. Logan edited her eyes. So her eyes are <laughs> never moving. I love so that. they're just constantly in one direction. But that's all VFX. Like, same thing with Caroline. It's all VFX. Everything. Wait, so they're just like, say this, say this, ask for this. Look they for never even say, say this. They're just like, where are the keys? And they'll hide the keys. And little girl will be like, I don't know where the keys are. And she's like, where are the keys? And a little girl just keeps doing it. Like, that is the way they work is like. They naturally just ask wow. questions and like they the ultimate what's my motivation right answer. Oh, yeah. so, so let me ask though then so is it on a on a technical level is it something where they're, they're maybe sometimes acting as like the scene partner or like are things bouncing back and forth are they behind the camera are they kind of in the scene and then like you know painting themselves out later or kind of all of the above oh they're all of the above like well there's two of them so celine acts in caroline and she acts in the feature is the mom and they did that purposefully because she could have a relationship with a little girl and could feed her lines not feed but like sure. could get lines yeah, out yeah. and then logan she had an earpiece in her ear and logan would say like i need her to say that again or it was out of focus or like do that again or can you do it like and he would feed that to her kind of and then celine would kind of keep pulling it out 
So it was, I mean, there are so many shots in our future where like Logan has a wig and a little jacket on and he's like holding a monitor and it's like her corner because we had to like lose her at, at child hours and like the whole, I mean, Celine's never acting off of that kid. Like every shot with Celine is like someone in a wig probably. And when you're shooting, or is there a moment you're nervous about like what like, the whole thing is going to work? It's just a, oh, like every day, all the day. Yeah. I mean, it also like doesn't work 90% of the time. Like there's so many times where Shayla just like wouldn't be in the mood, like the little girl or Caroline. I mean, like there's a whole scene in Caroline where she's like kind of crying. And that came because like, I think I gave her a couple pickles and she had too many pickles. And I was like outside of the car and she was looking at me and she was like, can I have a pickle? And I was like, no more pickles, Caroline. And she just started crying and they were just rolling. And I think they just VFX her mouth to be quiet. And she's like looking around, but like under her breath, she's going like, all I want is a pickle. And like, Carol won't give it to me. Like, she's just crying about that. But in the shot, She's crying about like her mom leaving. That's so good. Well, so th- th- that's incredible. I think like all of those t- the, those tricks are are incredible, and I guess because you have the history with them of knowing what they're capable of and and seeing the VFX work, and you know that gives you a sense of of safety. But I guess how do you convince financiers that this will work? You know, like there's, I mean, for them, you don't like they already do like they, you know what I mean? Like they have so much work. It's harder for the people who don't have work. Like that's the, that's the cell you have to figure out. It's the people like them. You're just like, look at them. Like they have accomplished amazing things. They're very talented people. Like I remember going into the future. We had such an incredible team of crew because we were all kind of like, this will be a great movie. There will be no, it's not even a question if it'll be good because like, look at all of their shorts. They're, they're so amazing. So it's easy to convince people that it's the people who like have kind of an average short or like haven't really done a short. And you're kind of trying to convince people then like, no, 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 I believe in them. Like they're going to be great. But Selena Logan are very easy. They're also the most prepared people you've ever met in your life. Like they storyboard every moment. So like every moment you need that kid to look a certain way, they mark it off a list of like, Hey, we got her looking to the left. We got her looking concerned. We got her looking down. Like they, they have she's never read a script or anything. No. But they know that they, they build the scene by the storyboard. So they know what frame they yeah. need. And then they just basically move them around. That, into that that, frame. I love that. that. I feel like that unlocks something for me because I feel like it would be easy to witness things and be like, oh, they're just kind of like improvising. It's loosey goosey. How do you know no, the movie's no going to be there? But it, it's the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's like the most yeah. planned, most precise, like very detailed storyboarding and like planning. I mean, the spreadsheets they have, like, they go into very detailed preparation for those reasons because they just want to make sure they have every moment they need. And then when you get on set, it is supposed to be like, they don't hold words tightly. They, they're very just like, say it in your own words, like to actors. They're like, say it however you would say it. They but don't. when you're selling the script, is this is the script good? Or is the oh, script, the script's like- incredible. I mean, it was like, it was, you know, one of the finalists for the Nichols Awards. Like, they're an amazing writer. They write so the like- The dialogue a- is good and then they don't care if the- actors say that well they do care but you can't tell people they're going to change it that's one thing i have learned through the years is like in the beginning i was like and on caroline we never even saw a script and i saw people's faces being like what and then after a while i was like right, just don't right, share yeah. that part. just leave that because yeah, <laughs> the worst version of that is people thinking like oh well they just got lucky right when you you know the backstory of how everything works and how how you know it's the, it's the exact opposite but yeah, that, that's interesting. That's really wonderful. And I know they just, um, Celine and Logan just did a TV show. Were you involved with that? I wasn't, no. That was the first thing I haven't done with them in a while. But my husband shot it. So I felt like I was involved because I knew all the goss. And it was fun. I mean, in a weird way, it was like, 
kind of cool. I was working on a movie at the same time. I was gone shooting and we were kind of, you know, talking about how our experiences were and how different it was from that feature. And that was a couple of years ago, the first feature. So like they've grown, like they've changed. They've kind of, you know, they learned how to use like a huge budget versus just like the tiniest budget. So I think in a weird way, we all kind of, we all kind of like learn from each other's experience, but now I had nothing to do with it. I'm excited to see it though. I didn't even read the script because I don't like scary things. So, <laughs> <laughs> so thing. uh, well, I'm curious though. So now it sounds like you've kind of entered, you know, a, a slightly different phase of your career where the, those initial people that, that you got to cherry pick along the way, right? Like you're all kind of maybe growing in different directions or something, right? Or you, obviously you still like to work with those people, but it sounds like maybe you're working with people outside that you didn't grow up with, didn't come up with. How do you come across those projects? How do you partner with them? And what's it like to to work with people who, you know, you don't have the same sort of history with? Yeah, I mean, Alex and Eleanor, I never did a short with, who I did Save Yourselves with, the directors. Like, at, we got coffee and I don't, I remember I met Alex's manager at Sundance, one of those years that I was like looking for people. And she was like, what do you want to make? And I was like, I just want to make something like weird. Like I want to make something that's like smart and funny and weird. And I remember she was like, do I have the script for you? <laughs> and she sent me a different script by Alex and I read it and it was like a $10 million movie. And I was like, I don't even know how to begin. Like I can't, I'm not there yet. And so I met with Alex and I remember being like, I'm such a fan of your writing. And he was like, well, I have this tiny little movie my girlfriend and I wrote, but like, I don't know if you want to read it. And I read it and it was save yourselves. And I was like, please let me do this movie. Like I had never worked with them before. It was like very fresh. Alex had one short that was um, called Snowy Bing Bongs and Eleanor had one short and like they both had their own shorts in their own careers. But like that was very much kind of a kismet moment of me just being like, this is what I want. I laughed out loud at your script. Can I please have a chance? And then they like took a chance on me. So that happens a few times. Like now I say now I probably get submitted more like through friends. Like a lot of now I'm in the film community. I feel like more so a lot of friends will be like, oh, you should you should read my friend's script. It's really great. Or like agents and managers, I feel like now I have a relationship with them in a stronger way where they'll send me stuff. I mean, during the pandemic is weird. Like there was a, there was a moment in the pandemic where everything shifted and there are not enough producers who know how to make a movie. And there are a lot of creative producers, as we call them, who have never made a movie. And there was a moment where there were a lot of creative producers who had financing and had projects set up, but did not know how to do it. So there were a lot of people reaching out to people like me and my friends who kind of do this, who were like, hey, we just need someone to go make the movie. So I kind of got hit up by a lot of those, which was new. Like I'd never had that before. I kind of always built my own stuff. So that was a little weird. Interesting. Did you end up doing any of those? I did. I did. I did one. I mean, I wouldn't say it came together quite like that, but I did a movie called Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. And I was not involved in the development. I was not involved in attaching the cast and nothing to do with the script. Like... It was by the Sundance, uh, it's a Sundance director named Adama Ibo and her twin sister. And they're both like very cool Nigerian directors who were like working in TV as writers. And Daniel Kaluuya's company found them uh, with a woman named Rowan Riley and Amandala. And they basically found them, found the script, put on Regina Hall and Sterling K. Brown, put this incredible cast, Daniel's producing. And then it just kind of ended up that all of them weren't really those type of producers. Like they didn't, you know, Rowan works for Daniel's company and Adama and Adana had never made a movie. And so they kind of called me to be like, hey, we need someone who can go do it. And that was definitely one where like I kind of stepped in last minute because I, honestly, like another movie of mine lost financing. So I was like available all of a sudden. And it was a cool script and it was a cool story. And 
yeah, so I got to do that one. And so you shot that during COVID. We shot that during COVID. I shot that. I shot a TV show, and then I shot another feature during COVID. It was a little wild. And was the TV show a studio show? No. The TV show was a Snapchat show, which was the wildest thing I've ever done. Was um, it vertical? It wasn't vertical. It was through a company called Portalay. And during the pandemic, they offered me the Snapchat show, and I was available. And I honestly, like the showrunner, is a longtime friend of mine that I've known for a really long time. And he wrote it, and I'm such a fan of his. And he brought it to me, and I was free. And I was like, yeah, let's make let's make a movie. So we're let's make a TV show. We shot it like a movie, to be honest. But yeah, so I did that. That's awesome. So, so now you're doing a program, uh, a movie with M. Night Shyamalan, and you're doing a movie alongside producer Joel Edgerton, Brian Crano's movie. I don't understand you. So obviously one is Celine and Logan's movie. How did the other movie come about? The other movie came about. So I've known Brian Crano and his boyfriend, our husband, sorry, um, David Craig, David and I were cater waiters together when I was 17. And we, he was with me when I was like a wedding planner. And then we both were assistants at the same time. And we both like moved on from assisting. And he's those are deep roots. That's yeah, that's wild. It's deep roots. It's very deep roots. We were like in New York City struggling for 10 years together. And he started working for Joel as his assistant like 10 years ago and has basically moved up. And I was working assistant and we both kind of moved up in our world. And David is now Joel's producing partner and, and runs his company, Five Henrys. And Brian and David, I've like always wanted to work with them because I've known them for so long and I've known Joel for a long time because of David and they wrote this movie and they sent it to me. And to be honest, I'd like, they were kind of the ones I was scared to work with because they're my really good friends. And I was like, is it going to ruin our friendship? <laughs> and then I read it and I was just so obsessed with it. And I was like, please let me try and take it out. So we just attached Nick Kroll and Andrew Rannell and we um, are going to start taking it out this fall for people. So we'll see. Cool. So when you have Joel Edgerton or M. Night Shyamalan, <laughs> Shyamalan. M. Night S, do you, um, do you still have to figure out the financing too and casting or is that, does it make everything way easier? It's different. So M. Night's paying for it. His company, Blinding Edge, is fully financing Selena Logan's movie. And that came from Selena Logan and I had developed a script during COVID and we were going to take it out to look for financing and attach. We already attached cast. We had attached Eliza Scanlon and Dylan O'Brien. And we were like getting ready to take it out. And then while they were filming Servant, M. Night was like, what are you working on? Oh, which is his it. show, right? Servant. His show. Yeah. And so he was like, what else are you working on? Like, I love your work and I'm such a fan. And they just hit it off. And then he read the script and was like, this is the craziest thing I've ever read. Like, why don't we do it with you? So then we kind of partnered and did it. And I leave in a few weeks to go shoot it. So... And then Joel's movie, I will. I am looking for financing. So anyone, you know, yeah. is listening. How you much do you need? <laughs> I need uh, I probably 10, 10 million. I would be so <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, 10 million, 10K sure. is the same. Um, well, I'm actually, I'm curious about, because I feel like there have been murmurs and even like guests who've kind of like mentioned that it's a it's an interesting and weird time to be uh, looking for financing specifically right now, right? Like the glut of, projects that were written over the pandemic and then everyone kind of waiting to try and shoot something it's it's kind of created a bottleneck what what's your experience in terms of just looking at things right now especially since you've got that that knack for it and the the love of it you know i think that's the thing that's interesting and unique about you yeah i mean i that is very true the bottleneck is 100% true I think I've been very lucky, to be honest, like it has nothing to do with skill, but like 100% luck that I've just been around 
productions that have been going. Like the financier of Honk for Jesus, I have now become very integrated with them and their company, which is called Pinky Promise, and they're a new financier and they are actively looking for stuff. So like there is a level of which that, which I'm like now helping them find stuff and like we're talking about projects to do together. So I've just been very lucky where the projects that I have been a part of that are bottleneck are already set up places. The places that I'm working with already really like me and they're like, well, what else are you doing? So I'm able to like bring stuff back in. But people who haven't, I feel very, very sad and very, I wouldn't say scared, but like very sad for the people who haven't made their first feature at like now. Like I got really lucky. I feel like we all kind of snuck in right before COVID and had a few movies under our belt. So now we're whatever people think, like they think that we actually know what they're doing now. But the people who were doing that before and they just like just missed the window, it's like, it just feels like you're a you're hundred feet behind everyone else. Like it's so frustrating to see friends and colleagues who are like, absolutely more you know as talented if not more and and have just as incredible projects but like they just can't get the meeting because they're just too backed up and like i don't i haven't had that experience but i see it happening very very much so because of covid you're saying yeah because of covid and because everyone's everyone's waiting to see what happens like you know last year at sundance nothing sold like coda sold which is always the thing everyone reads like you're like well one movie sold you're like one movie out of four thousand movies sold like that's not good odds. Like, and everyone only uses the one as their, their right. thing. And you're well, like, Blair Witch Project uh, made a bazillion dollars. So my, <laughs> yeah. my but the thing is the year that Blair Witch exactly. Project sold, a bunch of other movies sold also, right? Like that's Kara's point. <laughs> exactly. Like there's, there's nothing being sold yeah. now except for like one or two or three. Like there's so few. And, and now everyone's kind of waiting to see like if festivals are even going to be a thing anymore. Like, they're, they're fun and we have a great time and we all have our communities there, but like, are people actually buying movies there? Are people actually selling movies there? Like, how does, how does it work? And I think that people are waiting for the, for the pandemic to come a little bit further and to, for them to see like our theaters opening again. Can you put a movie on a streamer with no stars and have mm-hmm. success? Like, what, what can does you get the buzz around like something that has no future, one? Basically. Yeah. yeah. Like there is no model right now. Like right now the weird model is like, can you make a $1 million movie with Chris Pine? And like, the answer is no. So like there, I don't know where to go. No, but I mean like indies right now have these huge expectations where like, you can't, you can't get financing and you unless you have like Scarlett Johansson and you're like, you're not going to get her. So like that $1 million movie isn't going to happen if that's what you need. Yeah. Scarlett Johansson is bummed that she made, she thinks she made $50 million less than she was supposed to. I know. Like, movie, so. That's what's crazy. <laughs> like expensive. All the indie people I know who used to just be more about like, well, this person's has a really good episode of TV and they're kind of like popping. It's like now everyone's just going to the biggest stars because it's the only way you can even be seen right now. And it's just like a waste. And it's like, a, it's a waste because you're just spinning your wheels because they're never going to do those movies. Yeah. Well, Matt, there goes yep. your feature. Well, I, uh, I, I do think there's hope. Like, I think it will bounce back. I just think right now it's yeah, a little waiting yeah, yeah. game. No, no, no doubt. And, and I think, like, to your point, I think once things, the, the dust just hasn't settled yet. Right. And it feels, it feels like it has because things are opening up and people are vaccinated and we're going to pretend that we're not worried about the Delta variant for a second. But that, that's still going to, the film world takes, you know, a couple years to, to, you know, figure itself out, basically, in this case, you know. We're still feeling that wave. I mean, even getting into Sundance, it's like, I know everyone in the world right now who's like, we're shooting for Sundance. You know, we've been holding on to a year and I'm just like, what is it even going to look like? Like, I, they just announced yesterday that you have to be vaccinated to go, which is, I think is very smart. But also, 
what, what will it look like? Like, well, will people I heard all go? the top buyers are unvaccinated. So. Yeah, exactly. Only yeah, people, uh, you know, what do they know? The we lowest know. places are vaccinated. Yeah. And what about TV? Is that not, is, is that not the answer to all of our problems? I know. Well, TV is the other thing, right? It's like so oversaturated. There's too many shows. There's too many things. There's too many people like, everyone has a TV show that's maybe going to be set up somewhere right now. And you're kind of like, well, everyone can't have a TV show. Like, how are they all going at the same time? Yeah. Well, and I think the difference also between TV and indie film, it's, it's, it's obvious, but like being able to get something going to self-finance something or to like put your own development funds in to like shoot that proof of concept and get it, get it up and running. You know, it's a heck of a lot. Uh, I don't want to say easier, but it's a different, you're still i guess we're still thinking about it from the from the old world but like there was a model for independent film in a way that there what hasn't really been a model for independent television even if you could figure out how to get it made no i don't know the model of i mean the the only way i think independent television i'm technically i'm on a tv show right now that is considered an independent tv show it's with a studio but it's not like set up anywhere but it's the most experimental like art house like wild kind of thing so it's like, I don't even know if it'll be a TV show. Like it might turn into something else very quickly. But for now, we're all calling it TV. So I don't know. I don't know if the model exists in the same way. Where are you shooting your movie that's coming up? The M. Night Shyamalanian one. Um, <laughs> it is in Shreveport, Louisiana. Everyone's favorite city in, in, uh, in the United oh, States. Yeah. They have the highest Delta rate. Yeah, exactly. Um, we're going to the center because we want to cure it. So we're going to, you know. Uh, that's, that's a smart idea. Is shooting in places for tax incentives still a thing oh yeah i mean that's why we're going to shreveport that's the whole whole thing you get a nice big tax credit i mean the tax credit's huge like we got denied <laughs> i have a movie that we tried to shoot in oklahoma and they told us they they weren't sure if they would let us because it was like too it looked bad on oklahomians is that what you call them oklahomans i don't know but it looked bad at, on them so they did not want us to shoot there and we were confused and we were like, but do you have a choice? Like, can you tell us no? Can't we just shoot there anyway? And they were like, well, we can just like not welcome you. And I was like, what does that mean? Though? You're like, like I'm from like New York. Creatively, it was it, it painted Oklahomans in a negative light. Yeah, which is funny because it's based on like a Oklahoma law. Like the movie is about a 15 year old girl who has an affair with a 30 year old youth pastor. And they were just like, it makes them, you know, it makes it look like youth pastors do that to young women, but we're like, no, but it's based on the idea that like in Oklahoma, you can get married at 15. Like that's the point of the movie. Like she has all the agency. Like it's not like a weird, it's not like a misconduct on the movie. It's like, it's about the idea of like, what age do you have your own, uh, you know, desires and sexual whatever. But like, yeah, they, they basically were just like, well, we just don't want to promote that. And we were like, yeah, but it's, it is, it's a hap it's a thing that happens. Yeah. So. You know what they say in Oklahoma, everything's okay. <laughs> everything's good. Yeah, I guess I never thought about that. I know in Israel, there's like a fund for making content there that makes the country look good. Oh, totally. <laughs> like they will give you, you know, more money, like money to come shoot stuff there that, that yeah. paints it in a positive light. So oh, 100%. I get that. I haven't heard that too much in the US. But I Shreveport guess doesn't sense. have that. I don't think they're concerned about making it look good, but it's fine. Right. They're like, we had true blood here. Okay. Yeah, we're good. Everyone dies. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny, like the place we're shooting, we went to, 
And we were like, we're doing a movie. Like we scouted and the people I'm actually from like 45 minutes from where we're shooting. So everyone knows everyone in my family probably. And I, when I was there, I was like, Oh, we're bringing a movie. And they were like, we did a Disney movie 25 years ago. And it was like incredible. And I was like, that's sure. the only story they have. Like no one's ever. There's photos so. still up in the like it's, diner. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He's like wearing yeah. the shirt still. So I'm, I'm excited to go because it feels in a great way. It feels like fresh and new. Like maybe we won't, you know, bump into like I just shot in Atlanta and it's like everyone is so used to it. You can't do anything. So I'm excited to be able to go into places and be like, don't you want to be in a movie and your location right. too? And and you and a thousand friends can come. Yeah, come hang out. <laughs> you just redo the same motion 4,000 times and we won't hang out with in. your friends, but don't yeah. say anything. <laughs> you don't, don't really talk. Thing. Don't look at the <laughs> thing on the crane. If they do, Logan will just yeah. edit their eyes out. That's so fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's awesome. Well, congrats on all these things. I mean, thanks. Sounds like you've had an yeah. incredibly successful pandemic. I mean, let's hope. I don't know. They could all be garbage, you know? Who knows? Well, they're probably not. I mean, <laughs> if they premiered at Venice and all those things and they have M Night. Attached, I, I mean, yeah. at least a 50% chance. Yeah, exactly. I gotta go dig up. <laughs> yeah. I have a photo of me at like a test screening with M. Night when I'm I'm like no way. 18 at like like the sign. I think it was a signs test screening. And uh, it, I had a disposable camera that I took with me to all of like test test screenings, hoping that I would see directors that I liked there. And I've got oh, like yeah. a like that a, is something a you would chin do. strap beard, you know. It was like I'm a freshman in college, and I'm just like so excited. And I think I'm wearing an Edward Scissorhands T-shirt. I love that. My parents are stoked. I mean, they're like, is they call him Midnight because I mean, they they like actually know who he is, but they just call him Midnight. And my dad will constantly be like, "Does Midnight want to come over for a barbecue? Like, we could we could show him our new griddle." And I'm just like, so it's like very fun to see him coming. Yeah, to well, so that we'll is a cool nickname. Doing. You know, I'll start calling him that now. So what if people want to find out more about what you're working on? What what's the best way to do that? IMDb Pro, Kara DeRay on Instagram. I really don't do the IMDb thing. I should keep up with it more. People get mad at me. They're like, my movie's not up there. And I'm just like, I don't know, whatever. Like, you're like if it doesn't get into know. Sundance, I'm not putting it on IMDb. I'm not putting trash. On. <laughs> you know that, I only take Sundance or Venice. You know that our uh, podcast is yeah, on IMDb. So get ready. But I'm very bad wow. at updating it. Yeah. I need the credits. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. I think I'm fun to work with. Hopefully people find me. I'm Be a great careful time, what you, you know? wish for, Kara, because, uh, you know. I know. Yeah. How many scripts yeah. do you want? Just if it's set in, in Shreveport, Louisiana, Kara will read it. So send it to her. <laughs> Actually, the opposite. If it's set in Italy, I will read it. Or somewhere else exotic and beautiful. Um, if it's in Shreveport, I am immediately passing. Please do not send me those scripts. Do you like, um, sorry, I know we're, we're wrapping up, but I'm just curious. Do you like shooting in LA? Is that a thing that you're into or not into? I've never, I've only ever shot the TV, the Snapchat show in LA. That's it. And you live in LA, right? I live in LA. I've shot commercials here and like music videos and small stuff, but I've never shot a feature here. I've only, I've shot a few in New York. I've shot in Atlanta. I've shot um, in Texas. I've shot in other places, but I've never never done it here i mean i wish i could shoot here i like la i would love to shoot it's here. nice to sleep in your own yeah bed, you know i know i mean the one time i shot in la we shot in pomona which so is not yeah, la so, so it was not a good hey, hey take it easy pomona's yeah, yeah. not well, bad but you've got a racetrack <laughs> yeah. you've got a college it was a rough rough time i know all the people listening from pomona they're like hey wait a minute we're not shreveport <laughs> yeah i would love i would really love to shoot in la 
Lola and I both talked about that. Like neither of us shoot in LA and it would be so nice. It'd be great. Yeah. That's my, my new thing. I mean, I have, I have a newborn and a five-year-old, so it's like when I go out of town, it's draining, you know, on uh, my family. So yeah, it's a new I thing. Know, we try to, we kind of travel as a unit. Like we have two pugs with those people. And you bring and them? I like, I bring my pugs and they go to the production office and I'm like the pug lady. Do they like, share it's like what I always imagine. a crate on the airplane? No, they go under the seat. But do they have they like, just, um, the, the, in those bags, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They have the bags. We like separate them and then they go. But it's funny. Like it is weird rolling up a set and you're like, I'm the producer. And then like your pugs are following behind you. <laughs> well, it's better than you being the PA and having your pugs. That's also, you. <laughs> it's very true. I'm only, only a producer so I can put my pugs. I always joke. I I feel like I'll have made it when it's someone else's problem to watch a dog for me. Like you bring the dog to set and <laughs> then you pawn I it was, off on some schmuck. That's great. It's so true. I was totally paying our interns, like Venmoing them to be like, "Can you take the dog well, out today? Like I'm going to leave it at the office." And Kara, you take it sounds care of it. like you've made it. At you least I paid it, them. You there know? you go. I know. There you go. Yeah, it's the not just one pug. Career. It's how many pugs you have that really is how you measure. <laughs> when I get three, you know I'm some pretty yeah. big movies. Yeah, so. that's when Bill Macy will come ask to be <laughs> your. I, I like the idea of the sound yeah, guy exactly. just being mad. Like your pugs are like they've got bells on their little collars and they're breathing like, heavy. Like, could you get a breed with <laughs> a little less drool? <laughs> I've only ever I brought them once. I brought one of them to a Planned Parenthood shoot I did. It was like a PSA like supporting Planned Parenthood and we were in it was in LA and we were in this tiny studio and I didn't know and she came with me and we were sitting in the corner and this woman is telling like the most beautiful story about like you know her abortion or something it was like making her own choice and everyone in the room's crying and then all of a sudden the sound guy was just like yeah he was like I hear something and it was like ah ah in the corner and I was like well I'm so sorry it's my pug and like had to put her away (laughs) it was so bad come on they aren't cute those pugs (laughs) I know it was not good you guys not good uh awesome well are you down to hang out with us for just a few more minutes to give an unpaid endorsement of course Unpaid endorsements. So I have a history with unpaid endorsements of just endorsing the the dumbest, trashiest reality television ever. Like I, uh, the floor is lava is not. I was going to say reality TV, so now uh, I don't feel no, like I can. Mine was going to be. Reality is it Love TV, Island? It. No, I can. Oh no! But I've been watching it the last few weeks. I love Love Island. Love Island. So, oh, it's on, on CBS, bro. You don't have cable, do you? Uh, I uh, pay for Paramount Plus and Hulu Live so that I can get love. So here's what happened. I was uh, at my sister-in-law's birthday party and her friend was telling us a story about how she'd been flirting with this guy um, at the farmer's market. And all of a sudden he wasn't there anymore. And she was like, oh, where'd this cute guy go? And she, she asked her, the other guys who work at the meat stand where she buys her fancy meats. Turns out that dude was Christian on love island and so we were like oh this is such a funny story we've got to figure out who this dude is like i maybe we should watch a little bit of the show and immediately got hooked this show is on five nights a week if you pay for paramount plus you get bonus episodes so you can basically watch it every night <laughs> and it is we share that login <laughs> yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll talk um it is as a fan of the circle it, this is a new chapter in my life. I don't. I don't really. Oh, it's way better than the circle. It, it's so much. So better. what? I, what I think is 
so for people who don't know, the premise basically is just hot people in bathing suits hanging out. But basically, they decide who they're going to hook up with or couple with, basically. And like the odd man out gets dumped at the end of the week. And then towards later on in the season, you get to vote people off. Basically, the the viewing audience gets to log on to the app and, and say who their least favorite are. And they keep adding new sexy people. And so everyone's like, oh, maybe this person's the person I have a crush on now. So it's very, very, very dumb. But it's nice to have just like some ambient gossip. You know, it's like, oh, we, the gossip is a thing that we don't have as much of anymore because of the pandemic. And so I didn't ever think that I would ever miss that or even had much of that in my life. But I realized it is sort of like having really trashy friends to hang out with every once in a while. Um, and that's kind of fun right now. So that's, that's my weird endorsement. I, I know mine. I can I thought of All right. Well, Karen, yeah. take it away. I have never heard of this movie. Everyone has heard of it. Everyone I tell has been like, yeah, you idiot. Like it yeah. was bound. I it saw was really Avatar. Big. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> have you seen Avatar? No, it was. Um, have you ever seen the movie The Impossible? Oh, yeah. About the hurricane. I actually saw it in Thailand. It was crazy. What? Yeah. I have not heard of this movie. This is a perfect. Yes, you have. No, I haven't. Amazing. I don't know. Yes, it. Matt, thank you. It's so good. I mean, the never heard of stuff. it. Never saw it. Never heard of it. Selena and Logan, I was at their house and they pulled it up to show me a scene that's like similar to the movie we're doing. And they're like, we want to do this. And I was like, wait, what is this movie? And it's like 1130 at night. I was in New York at their house like last week. I was like, what is this movie? And they were like, oh, you've never seen The Impossible? I never even heard of it. And I watched the entire thing from beginning to end until 2 a.m. weeping. It is the most incredible like movie but not only incredible movie it's like the actual physical making of it is is unbelievable like we looked up all the stages after i was so kind of amazed by how they did it it's amazing i know everyone's gonna be like all that the movie stages of where they filmed you mean yeah like the way they built the hurricane and the way that this like the water stage the way they kind of built the props and then flowing through it and like it's fascinating to look it up but i was obsessed with this movie for like a few days and everyone i've told has been like, yeah, you think you should have gotten on board 10 years ago when it came out? Like, I didn't know about it, but it was incredible. It was such a good movie. Um, so that's awesome. Oh, yeah, the it's hurricane. really good. Love it's, it. I mean, the yeah. visual effects or what, however they pull that stuff off is... Next level. Yeah. Well, I was going to talk about a Twitter thread, as I often do, because I waste a lot of my time there. And it's um, from Franklin Leonard, you know, the creator of The Blacklist, and an avid tweeter. He tweeted out, this thread of movies that have like rock bottom Rotten Tomato scores and really high oh, audience scores. I thought you were you know, going to talk about, he got in a Twitter war with uh, Ben Stiller about nepotism this week as well. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> oh yeah. He's, he's interesting. Him and this guy, uh, John Zierney, who I've recommended before. He's a, a manager that talks about, you know, why people will, he gives a lot of advice to writers about like how to get their projects off the ground and stuff and why people will rep them. But uh, they just talk a lot about like Adam Sandler movies that have like 11% on Rotten Tomatoes and like, you know, 75% audience scores and just the mismatch sometimes between the tomato meter and what audiences think. And I just I just thought it was really interesting, like even like Uncut Gems, which is a movie that I really, really, really liked. It has like a 91% tomato meter score, but like a 50% audience score. And it just just reminds you, I guess, two things. One is that like 
the more you know about film, like the more your taste kind of shifts to be different than like a mainstream audience. And also if critics don't like your film, it has literally not, nothing to do with like what y- your mom will think of your movie, you know, like or how people will take your movie. So it's kind of, I think you can find, find silver linings in, in many ways from this tweet. He basically talks about, he, he finds movies that had, at least 20,000 audience ratings. Like Man on Fire has an 89% audience score and a 38% um, tomato meter. Bad Boys 2 is like 78% rotten. Her audience score, 23% tomato meter. Um, Super Troopers, National Lampoon's Van Wilder, you know, like 18 and 73. It's just kind of, I don't know, it's it's fun to see how off <laughs> the critics can be from the audience. Totally. How drastically different. As my mom and dad always say, like, can you just make a happy movie? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't yet. <laughs> One day I'll make them proud and they'll have a movie that they enjoy. Well, yeah. <laughs> like that Bright on here. Bright, you know, I think in the industry was kind of known to be a pretty bad movie. Um, and it has an 83% audience score and they're making Netflix is making a second one. So when everyone's like, Ugh, why didn't they make a sequel to that? It's because people like it. Oh my God. I love that. Killing of a Sacred Deer is like, I think it's such a, no, not Killing of a Sacred Deer, Lobster. Have you oh, ever yeah. seen one of my favorite movies, Love the Lobster. And I, I made my family watch The Lobster one Thanksgiving. <laughs> and my dad was just like, I don't understand uh, you. Like, he yeah. was so disappointed yeah, yeah. and so confused that I would even suggest such a thing. So. <laughs> I honestly, I get it. It's an interesting, weird movie. But I don't, I don't get the... You like, and my dad, man. Like, why people out. were like, this is the... Like, people, so many people are like, you got to see this movie. I thought it was... I They're like how movie. I am about The Impossible now. <laughs> The impossible is I, I challenge someone to watch that movie and not appreciate it. It's, it's the extras good. alone, oh, like the people in the right. hospital. I mean, it's it's just next level. We can have a whole podcast about the, the, the well. I just want to meet those. We people. have yeah. friends who have a Mission Impossible podcast, and they are yes. well over a hundred episodes. <laughs> I would love to go on that podcast and only talk about the impossible <laughs> Naomi Watts yeah. movie. And my wife can <laughs> talk about Impossible bonus. Burgers for twenty minutes. <laughs> the carrots can there really tag team that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, well, awesome, Kara. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Of course. Um, you guys it was are really so fun lovely. talking to you. We can't, we're super excited to see what you're doing next. And maybe one day Thanks. we'll be lucky enough to hire you or your husband. Or I would love that. For something. Anytime. I mean, or please hire, hire us. us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of the <laughs> other way around. Um, awesome. Well, if you have questions about uh, anything we talked about on the show or you want to write us just to say how much you liked this one or anything else. You can email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com or tweet at us or on all social media at justshootitpod. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow. And I'm at O'Kaplan on Instagram. I'm at SmiteyPileg on Twitter, which I don't really tweet that much, but I do realize like I like a lot of tweets. So if you follow me, you'll see the things I like and then maybe you'll, you'll discover some new things. All of my tweets, basically. Discover. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, sometimes I see Matt's tweets. I'm like, ah. Not that funny, but I should like this. So Matt feels better about myself. <laughs> and then, in if it, you want to see a lot of a lot of pub content, you can follow my Instagram. <laughs> that's all that's there. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. Matt's tweets are very funny. This episode was edited by Sarah Weirda. Our social media manager is Derek Aiello. Though I think we might be losing him soon. Uh, I'm really sad about. Such a bummer, but Derek. great work, Derek. We'll probably say goodbye a few more times. Yes, and uh, the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive, and the artist is Czar. And we will catch you next time. Thanks, Thanks everyone. everyone.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.